Welcome to Rethink, a podcast focused on the future of skilled nursing. I'm Amy Stulick, reporter at Skilled Nursing News. I'm joined for this episode by Stuart Lindemann, CEO of Mission Health Communities, which is based in Tampa, Florida, and operates facilities across nine states. Stuart reveals why this is a generational moment for the industry. He's hopeful that Medicaid rate increases will help meet higher acuity patients and increased costs of care. He also reflects on his time at larger companies like Rivera and what he feels is now the ideal size of a SNF operator. Before we get to my conversation with Stuart, I'd like to highlight Skilled Nursing News' upcoming Clinical Executive Conference taking place April 20th in Washington, D.C. This event will bring together clinical and business leaders in skilled nursing to talk about payments, operations, public policies, staffing, and more. The conference will feature speakers from leading providers across the country and is a great opportunity to network and learn from peers in a fast-paced environment. Learn more about the conference at Skilled Nursing News forward slash events. And now, my conversation with Stuart Lindemann. All right, Stuart. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I suppose we can just start out a little bit with how you came into this role at Mission Health. I've been the president and CEO of Mission Health now for a little over 10 years. And I joined in, in December, so in my 11th year. I've been in the School of Nursing Senior Living business for 37 years. So I've been here a long time, a long time, a lot of different things. And I came from an organization called Rivera, which was a company based out of Canada that had U.S. operations, and I ran the, the U.S. operations for that. So I've been uh, been doing this for a long time and enjoying mission in 2012 really build out an organization and, and, and begin to build out a company. The, the company existed, but it was very small in 11 communities in a couple of states. And my task, my charge was to, to build out a, a platform that we could, uh, that we could grow in a regional variety. Mm-hmm. And then let's get into some more topical questions um, with the, federal staffing mandate coming up. I'm really curious if you anticipate or what you anticipate in terms of a federal mandate proposal and, you know, are you worried about one? <laughs> I worry about everything uh, these days, especially, but yeah, the staffing mandate is a concern. It's really an unfunded and not an ability to actually fill the positions is my biggest concern around it. The idea of having more staff is, is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing. Uh, it can be a very good thing. So I feel positive about staff, you know, having more staff and be able to take care of our residents and patients, meeting our care's values, but to mandate something that impossible for us to reach because of all the, uh, all the staffing issues that we're having across this industry doesn't seem to make sense. And having it unfunded, and then again, having it unfunded when margins are negative, doesn't seem like a very wise thing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you touched on this mandate coming up against the ongoing staffing crisis. Uh, I'm curious how Mission Health is handling the current staffing crisis and you know, if workforce pressures are easing at all for you. Yeah. So we implemented various things, during, various initiatives during the, the pandemic and even before the pandemic. 
we have a, a program, I think we've spoken before about Discover You, which is um, kind of a university training for our staff where they can earn uh, different stripes and stars uh, to learn different skills where they can, uh, where they can earn more, uh, more pay. Um, they kind of a career path. We implemented a regional recruiters in all of the states and regions that we work in. So we brought the, the recruiting and the hiring practice right down to the local level, to the regional level. We also, during the pandemic, did a lot of uh, remote education for CNAs. We've trained well over 500 folks that are uh, that were CN- that are not CNAs to become CNAs, and they're now working uh, working in our buildings. We've had a retention retention rate well over 80 percent. The other thing is around technology. I mean, we, we have added, we're adding a, a scheduling tool now where people get their schedule on their iPhones or their Google, or their, we're called, I shouldn't call iPhones, on their phones so that they can plan their own schedule and, and, and work through that. That's getting ready to roll out now. Our applicant tracking system is, is something new that we've also rolled out. You know, we, we feel like we need to have more technology and give our employees more ability to, to manage their lives uh, besides um, you know, just work. We know about mission, um, character, attitude, respect, excellence, and service in our values, and that goes way beyond just working in the building. That is, that's, it goes, we want people to have a good balance at home too, and I think this all helps that. Mm-hmm. And then has Mission Health implemented any new initiatives? I think you might have touched on this a little bit, but any new initiatives that are helping and are you folks operating in any states with a mandate currently? We don't have mandates now. We don't have any staff, states that have the staffing mandates. But again, the, the programs that we've implemented, the Discover You, the local recruiting, all of the things I mentioned before are all helping us recruit and retain your staff. Excellent. And anything we can learn from states that have already seen staffing mandates implemented? Well, I was, you know, as I said, none of our states are mandated, but I, you know, we have read where other states are, are mandating. And I think uh, Virginia is an example of, well, I think, something that's positive. They've implemented a mandate that is timely being rolled in, that has the ability to give facilities, communities, chances to correct issues over time. It's a much more measured system. I know that goes away if the federal mandate comes in because the federal mandate will be more strict than that. But I, I think that from what I can see, Virginia has been, is one of the states that I think has implemented a positive, something very positive. And I'd love to get uh, mission health specific with the next couple questions. Uh, first off, any plans of expansion or growth? Yeah. So when I joined mission, we were, like I said, about 11 buildings in, in a couple of states. Today, we manage or operate around 60 buildings in, in nine states. And, and we will continue to, to grow where it makes sense. You know, we are the largest provider in Kansas. We are in states throughout the Midwest and the Southeast. We will continue to, to explore, to, to grow more. I think that we've been very intelligent about our growth. We're not just growing to grow. We're picking areas that make sense. We're, we're focused in on building regions with mission. We don't try to run our company. We don't try to run our buildings from Tampa. We have processes and systems in place, but we set up a local regional team that manages the buildings, and they're in the local in the local markets. Now, what works in Clearwater, Florida, doesn't necessarily work in Clearwater, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, just kind of a follow up question to that: You mentioned Kansas. You know, any plans to get into other states sure. or 
maybe other ancillaries? So currently we're, we are looking at other states that um, make, again, that make sense. Where are they favorable? Are there opportunities in other states? Yes. Um, yeah. We are definitely looking at, at other states um, and on the ancillaries and, and support services. Absolutely. Today we don't own or operate any ancillary businesses, but it's something that we are looking at with either partners or ourselves over the next several months. Oh, wow. Next couple months. Any specific that you'd like to mention, specific ancillaries? I can't right now, but it's something that we're, we're excited about and we think will add value to mission and, and mission brand. Excellent. And I know that as part of our outlook story uh, for 2023, you said that your vision for this year uh, is strongly bound to strategic vendor partnerships, which kind of goes back to the ancillary question. How can operators use these partnerships to better their facilities, staff, and residents? Well, I, you know, our vendor, our vendor partners, our strategic vendor partners are extremely important to us. I mean, we have great partners, and I, I don't want to, you know, I can name several of them, but they really do line up with us. They understand the values that we've created. They, they support what we're doing and, and what we're trying to do. You know, we have an annual conference, and these vendors come to our conference and they participate in our values meetings and talk about what, what they're doing, talk about what I'm doing, mission is doing. And it's a great way to stay aligned, be on the bus together and, and move along and, and be successful. One of the relationships has allowed us now to bring robotics into the building. We've got our first robotics that came into the building this week, actually last week. And that slowly over the next several months will be rolling out. Work we've done with, with uh, group Tapestry, Omnicare, Encore, and we have some really good strategic relationships. I mean, I, about five years ago, said, you know, it's great to have vendor relationships. You know, you have the milkman and the breadman, but the people that you really can affect your business are much larger, and we need to have special relationships with the leaderships of those organizations. And we have some really good ones, some really great ones. Excellent. And you mentioned this at the beginning of our conversation, you know, that you've worked with Rivera and Extendicare, you know, very big companies, but we've seen big nursing home chains like Promatica and Genesis struggle. So I want to learn from you, you know, what you think is the ideal size for a SNF operator? It's a great question. I don't think it's the size. Honestly, I don't think it's the size. It's the vision of what the organization is trying to do. You're not going to be able to do everything for everyone. So if you're focused in markets that make sense for you and you have the right people in those markets, it doesn't matter if you're a, a 30 facility company or, or 150 or 200 facility company. So I don't know if you can say there's an ideal size. You need to have a strategy that makes sense. And that's where I think some of these organizations have, have gotten into trouble is they were trying to do all for everybody. And they really didn't have that strategy that said, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to serve. And I think that's what you need to be doing. And so I want to get into some questions about head pricing for skilled nursing and deal making as well. So there was some data put out recently by the National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care that nursing care ended its fourth financial quarter at $97,700 price per bed, which is a 9.5% increase from a year ago. And I'm curious, you know, if 
I guess, first, if you folks are looking to acquire or not looking to acquire? Well, like I said, we are looking to acquire where it makes sense. Yeah. I think, you know, again, bed values are kind of mis- can be misleading. You know, are the beds empty? Are they full? You know, people publish things. Sometimes I wonder if it's uh, their true bed value. They're the net bed value. Mm-hmm. I mean, net bed costs. I, I think we try to look at what value can we get out of the out of it? What are we going to get in the market? Does it make sense? And do I think it's going to moderate? I think as more people come back into steel nursing, as we see our census grow, I think those those numbers will start to to moderate more. At least that's my hope. But we also have to remember that there's 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 certain element out there that's driving the market higher, and there's there's a market where, where there's a lot of money being paid, sometimes unrealistic value, unrealistic amounts that are causing the bed values to go down. And that's something that I think is a danger to the a danger to the um, to the industry and to the profession. And are you at all deterred by high sniff bed prices in the market currently? Well, I'm not. I, am I deterred? I, I'm not going to buy something that doesn't make sense for mission. It doesn't make sense for our strategic positioning. I get frustrated, but I also have to tell you that I, I've watched where bed values are very high, the bed costs are very high, and they ultimately they don't end up staying that high because the person, you know, the group that may have come in and said, hey, we can we'll buy this asset for $10 million when it may only be worth seven, doesn't always work well. I don't get deterred. I, I'm very patient. We've been very patient. Mm-hmm. So switching gears a little bit, I, I'd like to talk about the minimum data set changes coming up October 1st. You know, we know that states are taking different approaches to determine Medicaid reimbursements as the MDS is updated October 1st. And what have you seen from the states that Mission Health operates in, in terms of updating this? Well, of course, they're being forced to make the change, right? And they're, they're going yeah. to the PDPM, which I'm in favor of. I mean, I, I think PDPM has been great. It's, it really allows us to be reimbursed for the level of care that we're taking care of. And the world isn't just around rehab. Back in 2019-18, we were planning for PDPM rollout across our organization. And we did lots of training just before the pandemic. And we were ready for that because what we want to deliver is is good, high-quality care. And we take care of high-acuity patients. And so for Medicaid to come in and say, you know what, we want to mirror that and we're going to reimburse you for taking care of higher-acuity patients, I think it's great. I think it's the way it should be instead of being driven off the rehab, which is fraught with all sorts of issues. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned Medicaid rate increases. What is Mission seeing in terms of Medicaid rate increases in the states that you operate in? And is there a big difference between states? So let me start off by answering your last question first. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think that states have recognized that they're going to have to do something about the Medicaid rates. And they're all doing, and not all of them, many of them are doing things uh, by looking at our current costs, how, how they're figuring out, uh, how they're looking at our cost reports. So yes, we are seeing states finally adjust the Medicaid rate to help support the costs that we have. I mean, this is not a, this has been an issue for as many years as I've been doing this. This has been an issue. Medicaid has always underfunded the providers, always. And I think now states are recognizing that they have to make those changes. 
a couple of years ago, we decided to hire our own lobbyists in the states that we operate in. And it's been very effective. And our lobbyists and myself and the team here have been working with the state governments, with the legislatures in the states, alongside with the healthcare association, where we, where we do, to work on those Medicaid rates. And I think states are recognizing. Some are not recognizing as fast as they should, but others are doing a great job. I would call out Kansas for doing a, a great job. And, and there are others that are working towards getting getting better. Mm-hmm. And from what we've seen, Medicaid rates appear to be increasingly at the center of a new model in skilled nursing as increased dollars and facility performance intertwine. Do you see this as a generational moment for the industry? Yes. It's a great comment, Jen. That's a great quote user, generational moment. It is. It's the first time that Medicaid is responding and it's you know years and years we've been we've been beaten up by Medicaid for so long, and we're finally seeing some increased dollars there that we're going to get reimbursed for the higher higher acuity patients. Those acuity patients for years were very difficult to place, and you know if you train your staff and you work hard with the staff and you teach them new skills as we do through Discover You and some of the other training, we can take on those patients. And it's uh, to me, it's an exciting time in. In the business, it's exciting that we'll be able to, to that we're actually now providing services that we've never thought we could provide before. We have we have trade dialysis units that we've opened up. We have sepsis units we've opened up all across the United States, and it's really been a great time to expand those services. And now that Medicaid is going to reimburse for those higher acuity patients, we can take care of that. And uh, the other side of things in terms of Medicaid rate increases is that they appear to be tied to deal activity as well with investors and buyers keeping an eye on deals in states that greenlit a sizable Medicaid increase. Do you see this trend continuing? You know, it's, it, I think it's going to continue, but I think we have to be careful because Medicaid, you know, people thought the cost reports based on their costs. And if people think that those, you know, if they're not spending that money, they're not going to get to keep, you know, they're going to, the rates are going to get adjusted. I think it's one piece that you have to look at when you look at an acquisition is the state Medicaid rate, what we think it's doing. But one day a state can be very good and the next day it cannot be good. And that can't be the only decision that you're making. It concerns me when investors and buyers are just focused on one thing. And I agree with you. There are some buyers out there that are just looking at one thing. And I, I think that's a mistake. Historically, the skilled nursing sector has been very geographic in terms of market trends. Do you think Medicaid changes are deepening that separation by geography? I am seeing increases in Medicaid and discussion for increases across the markets in the Southeast, in the Midwest, and the North Central part of the United States. Those are the markets that we're in. And I'm seeing that there's discussion around, around that. Obviously, you're not going to get the same rate in Minneapolis that you might, Minneapolis, Minnesota, that, that you might in Georgia, in South Georgia, because the costs are different and the systems are different. But I don't think so. I don't think it's going to be that. I'd like to talk about ownership transparency for a little bit, just because I know that this has been a huge focus even more recently with the Biden administration and CMS. 
Um, so I guess first off, I'd like to learn a bit more about what Mission Health's ownership model is. You know, do you work with real estate investment trusts, with private equity, uh, with other ownership groups? So Mission is owned by four. There's four people that own that own Mission. Now we're not owned by private equity. We're not owned by outside money. There's there's four four people that have have ownership in Mission. That's the way it's it, it's been for the last eleven years. Do we work with uh, REITs? We work with both public and private REITs. And as far as private equity, we might work. We don't today, but we might work with private equity and other ownership groups. It just depends on the opportunity. We certainly. As we look to expand, we'll be raising money for, for different projects, but that's not going to change the ownership of what mission is. And then do you think that lack of transparency, ownership transparency is hurting the industry or that certain types of investors or capital structures are not well suited to skilled nursing? So I think that transparency, lack of transparency is definitely hurting the industry. And I'm in favor of more transparency and to be, people need to see, be able to see more. And the way that the industry has hidden behind different structures has really hurt the credibility that we have with, I think even with, with outside investors, with, with states, with the general public. I think that we have not done a good job around that. So I'm in favor of more transparency. I'm in favor of making sure that people, there should be nothing to hide. And as we have a we have a management side of our company that takes on a lot of troubled buildings and, and troubled portfolios through our mission management services. And this is where I see a lot of those problems start is with companies and investors that don't have a lot of transparency and they don't really understand the business. And that's where the pro- a lot of problems can happen. So so that's where we have ended up taking over a lot of receiverships and, and temporary management. In, in companies that don't have good transparency. I know that you mentioned this earlier in our conversation and then also in our outlook piece for this year, that technology and skilled nursing has taken off in ways still yet to be imagined. What place will technology have in the evolution of skilled nursing? In the next several years, now into the next several years, I think we're going to be experimenting with lots of different kinds of technology. I mean, I, I mentioned that we're using the robots now that just started a handful of our buildings, and they're going to be helpful in making it easier for our staff. I mean, delivering trays and, and delivering linen to the hallways and some of the things that they can do. They're not replacing people, but they're allowing people to work more efficiently, allowing people to spend more time with the patients. I think that technology, along with telehealth, and remote monitoring, which we're starting next month, remote monitoring our buildings, I think are all tools that can help us be more efficient and deliver a higher quality uh, product to our patients and our and our other stakeholders. Hmm. And I'd like to end our conversation with some big picture questions for you. First off, I'd love for you to describe your vision for the skilled nursing industry of the future? It's going to be definitely all private rooms, much built with more amenities. You know, as the group that's aging now, and I don't quite count myself into it, maybe getting closer, but I think that our expectations are much higher. We're much more used to more personal service, more amenities, more less medical, more hospitality-based. And I think that's what we're going to see. I think that will that will continue to grow. And I think we're going to expect that. 
our current nursing homes that are out there, most of them are of such a vintage stock. They're not going to be acceptable to the oncoming, the next wave of folks coming through the, uh, right after this next raised tsunami that everyone talks about. I think we're going to have to have a better product to, to provide our incoming residents and patients. I think we're going to see a much higher acuity. It continues to grow. Every several years, you know, we see a much higher acuity. We see people that used to be in the hospital. And, and now we're just, we're, we're seeing all sorts of things that we would have never thought we'd have seen just a couple of years ago, maybe even before the pandemic. We're now seeing things that the hospitals are, that we're not taking care of. So I think more technology, more hospitality, higher quality buildings, that people, our generation or the next the generation coming in are going to be expected. Mm-hmm. And we like to ask this question of, of leadership in this space. And, you know, it's possible that you have been in the same room as the CMS administrator, but, um, you know, if, if you had her in the room with you right now, what would you like to tell her and what would you want the team at CMS to understand about the industry? I would love to have a one-on-one discussion with her because I, I find when I have discussions with regulators and states and, they, and, and you really can sit down and talk to them and, and explain to them about the business, about the profession, about what you're trying to do, they do get it, especially if you you know if you have the ability to do it over and over again. I've seen that with governors and states that we operate in. I've seen that with, with regulators. So what I would be telling the CMS administrator is we're trying to provide group care. And I would explain to her about our, our care's values of character, attitude, respect, excellence, and service. Then I would say, you know, this, this administrator, this is not just, these aren't just words on a wall. This is how we live. We want to take care of our residents and patients. We want to do right by our staff. And we want to provide a great product for our patients and our residents. And we want to be the place to work. And we can do that, but we need your support. And yes, there are bad apples out there. There's people out there that shouldn't be in the business. And we need to figure out ways to get them out of the business. But whole, most people that do this want to take care of the patients, be right by the staff, and that's the success. And that's what I would spend time talking to her about. I think we are misunderstood by the current administration, but I think we've been misunderstood by multiple administrations. And it, it's very unfortunate. Some of it goes back to transparency. Some of it goes back to lack of education and lack of capital in, in the business. But I'm very optimistic and would be very optimistic in my conversation with her because I really believe in what we do. I believe in our values. And I think it's what the differentiator is out there. And then finally, since this is the Rethink podcast, what do you think is the one thing that providers should rethink about skilled nursing? I think all providers should be focused on what the most important thing is, and that's taking care of the residents and patients first. I think that they need to live those values and make sure that that's what they're focused on, because that's why we're in the business. That's what we're here to provide. And the quicker and the sooner that we that everyone realizes that, I think we can move this profession faster ahead and we have less issues with government and with any regulatory agencies. Excellent. And then was there anything else that you wanted to add before we sign off? Listen, I've got the best job in the world. I wake up in the morning 
I love what I do. I love supporting our staff out in the communities and here in Tampa, being able to to lead Mission Health into the future, see where we've been and where we're going is, is quite exciting. We've got some of the best staff in the country. I believe that we have, we live our CARES values. And then I repeat it all the time, the character, attitude, respect, excellence, and service. I'm excited about where we're going. I'm optimistic about 2023. Well, thank you so much, Stuart, for joining us. And thank you so much. That does it for this episode of Rethink. I'd like to remind everyone of the upcoming Clinical Executive Conference on April 20th in Washington, D.C. Tickets are now available at skillednursingnews.com forward slash events. Thanks for listening. Yeah.